Alright, I'm starting now. Hello. Ew. Welcome everybody to episode... I don't know, did we even release the last episode? <laughs> no. Yeah, this, is right. a, this is the first episode, guys. <laughs> Brand new podcast. Brand new podcast. Never done before. Nope. Nope. In the history of podcasting, no. This is... Uh, do they have, like, names, or these are actual names? Yeah, this is our real names. This is Brandon. This is Brandon. What? And Jimmy. You, you don't want to say our last names? No, bro, I'm not doxing myself. <laughs> not that anyone cares. It, it's cute that you think that people are actually going to dox us. Look, man, you don't know... Be like, damn, who is that guy? I need to find out who he is. <laughs> Speaking of uh, finding people down and killing them, we're reviewing the movie No Country for Old Men. Ba 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 ba. Yep. The first, uh, well, not the first, the second Coen Brothers film you've seen. Uh yes, because the first one would be uh, Fargo. Fargo. So. Yeah, I'm really lacking Coen Brothers. Um, filmography knowledge. Oh wait, I did see Hail Caesar. Okay, so you lied. You've seen. So I've seen two actually. Well, on on top of this three now, so. You may sound like saw none of the films. I think I missed like really big films from. I didn't see uh, it's the one with George Clooney, not Burn After Reading. The other one. The other one, I don't know. I don't remember. Brother, where art oh, thou? Oh, brother, where art thou? Yes, that one. I haven't seen that one either. No, I didn't see that one. I didn't see Big Lebowski. I mean, they, I guess, those are like some of the bigger ones. Mm-hmm. I don't think A Serious Man was that big a film. No. I don't, I, I'm, I've never heard of it, so. No, it's just about a, a school teacher in the Jewish community. Oh, so and it's, what is the plot? It's a Coen Brothers film. They're a little, <laughs> they're a little hard to just sort of summarize. I mean, this is probably one of their simpler f- films in terms of a plot. All right, Brandon. So you tell me for people who are watching this, or I guess listening, actually, what the plot of No Country for Old Man is. Well, you want me to go over the whole plot? Or you want me to just like no, just synopsis. Synopsis, generally speaking, is uh, Josh Brolin, known as Llewellyn Moss, in the film, sort of is a just a country old country guy, and he sort of just stumbles upon a drug deal gone bad, finds a briefcase full of money, mm-hmm. and he summer he decides to take it, and ends up getting tracked down by. A uh, sort of psychopathic hitman known as Anton Shigur, yeah. played by Javier Bardem, and uh, that's the general plot of the film. It just sort of follows their story and occasionally um, interspliced with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, the third sort of main character of the film. It's kind of funny how uh, he's like the proverbial old man in the film. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny that he's a top build. In the credits, yet he has like the least amount of screen time. That is true. He is out of all the main main characters. He's like by far the least 
prevalent in the film. Yeah. Uh, so before we start really breaking down what we liked about the film, um, what's your general thoughts? I mean, I've seen, I saw this film when it came out back in two thousand seven. Mm. Sort of dating myself a bit there, but <laughs> how I, old were you, Brandon? Oh, I was a young teenager, you know. You don't, you don't want to see your age. No, I do not. <laughs> you don't want to get doxxed with that one too. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah, exactly. Just give my social insurance number as well. <laughs> what was it? Seven eight six what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember enjoying the film when I watched it, and um, I mean. I was like, it's still as good as I remember. Probably, I enjoyed it more this time because I think it's been so long, I don't remember how much I actually paid attention to the film when I watched it. Yeah. So when you watch, I find these kinds of films when you do like a second watch over, you tend to like notice a bit more about it because you're not just sort of trying to understand what's going on. Yeah. You're just sort of like analyzing more rather than sort of just absorbing it. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, well, clearly, this has been the first time I watched it today. Uh, generally, I like to watch the movies we're about to review the day of, so it's, like, insanely fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, I liked it, man. Like, I thought, like, that... The fact that this movie had, like, no score whatsoever. Like, you really felt the suspense in scenes. Yeah, there's just like, there was, I don't even think, was there even music at any point in the film? Like, even on like a radio or something? I can't even remember. Uh, what the mar- mariachi band is really the only I mean, thing. I guess those <laughs> random mariachi band counts as a uh, soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw the end of the film, like in the credits. I think there was only like two songs that played. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I think the... Coen Brothers do that a decent amount, actually. They just kind of, at least in some of their films, they don't really have, like, a, a soundtrack, so to say. It's, yes to... And this film, it worked out very well, because most of it was just kind of... You really felt like you were following the characters, like, lives. Yeah. Like, it really it was, like... I know, I in our unreleased episode, uh, I did mention something about length of movies and how some movies feel shorter or longer than they are. Mm-hmm. And this movie, you actually really do feel the length of it, and which is not necessarily a bad thing in this case, because it's, mm-hmm. it's like you really get a sense of like what the characters are going through and how long everything takes and how much of a... Especially the main character, Josh Brolin's character, is really like how much he's struggling to just... Not, Stay alive. Not get killed. And how long... It just seems like it drags on and on. Like, he's just... He's just going forever running from this guy. And he just won't... And he will just not be stopped. You know, I was about to disagree with you. But when you mentioned the fact that, like, yes, Josh Blowen's, uh character... Like, you see the struggle it takes for him to even survive. I, I do agree with you on that. But I do... I thought this movie was going to be longer. Uh, I mean, I think it's only like two hours around. Yeah, it's like two hours and like five minutes at least. Yeah, so not, yeah it's, it's not a... No, it's not any stretch imagine a long film. It's around 
average length for a movie nowadays, two hours. But yeah, it's like you. When I'm watching them, like this seems like a two-hour film. It's not like watching some kind of like a like a John Wick or something where it's like the scenes mm-hmm. just kind of go one to the next and they don't really give you any sort of time to breathe. Whereas this is sort of like there's a lot of suspense, but at the yeah. same time, it's a lot of very quiet suspense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I guess that's the difference between a movie like John Wick. I, but again, it's still... Like, John Wick is a great movie. It's a great action for a movie, for the genre. But I wouldn't call No Country for Old Men an action movie. It's more... No, not e- not any stretch of imagination is an action film. Yeah. I mean, there are some sequences of action, but they're usually really short, so... Yeah. They're short, but, like, done so effectively yeah I mean they get the point across it's just uh I mean they started off pretty heavily with um the scene where he gets kidnapped and put in jail and immediately strangles a man to death pretty and you see him like really strangle that guy to death yes uh this is uh Javier Bardem's character so segueing into that what do you think about his performance? Because obviously, his performance is the best in the film. Do you think it's the best in the film? Yeah, I have to I agree. think so. uh, Josh Brolin's character is super underrated. I thought he did great. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having a Bardem, he has a lot of, in this film especially, he has a lot of, he, he's good at doing like subtle sort of actions that illustrate this character uh, mm-hmm. Anton Chigurh and he's not it makes him seem like less of just a crazy killer guy and more just I think as mentioned in the film he has a set of principles yeah that sort of are transcend common sense or regular understanding like he follows a code very clearly he just well, don't know for him you to just understand. don't know, really know what it is it's yeah. just his own thing yeah um and he's just like um he does a lot I don't know if they're like his choices in the film or their directions that he does where he mm-hmm. I think uh, one scene I was thinking is really illustrated if you remember where he catches up to Josh Brolin in the motel mm-hmm. and he sort of like gets his room and he sort of is like exploring it in a way mm-hmm. he does a lot of things which I was like it's kind of odd like he closes the door opens it again quickly yeah just like tapping on the walls like I'm like why is he doing any of this like and then you you see that like he was just like figuring out the room yeah exactly where he later quickly opens the door shoots a guy shoots through the same wall because he's yeah. testing the thickness yeah but uh, I guess the I guess the obvious obviously the big scene in this film is the whole Tassi, yeah gas station segue into that one. I think that's the most yeah we're gonna talk get about to this scene. point. We might as well get this one out of the way. The gas station scene. Well, hold up before I say anything. Oh, before you say anything. Sorry. Um, this is the reason why I don't talk to people in our line of work. I. <laughs> I think it just cements my idea of maybe I, sh- I-, I don't want to talk to people. 
She's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, said uh, yeah. This is why. Yeah, I don't like making a lot of small talk with strangers, and this is a bit of an extreme example, but. Um, <laughs> It's clearly a man asked him one question, and then that apparently <laughs> triggered <laughs> triggered him. <laughs> I mean, Anton Chigurh's character is just—he's uh, known for being very inc- trying to be as incognito as possible. So, yeah, even such a benign question as hey, well, I, in his line of work, I we we can understand that he's a hitman. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like obviously the question was benign. The man, so basically to break down the scene, Anton Chigurh goes into the gas station. Like goes to a gas station to says, get gas, get gas, buy some some nuts or something. By the way, did you notice how cheap that gas was? <laughs> the gas, yeah, it was that's only, the real horror. <laughs> yeah, the gas was only twenty five cents. <laughs> technically, that's all he paid. I don't think he paid anything else. <laughs> no, I guess like, well, this is uh, well, it's set in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, it's set in literally nineteen eighties. So. Imagine though, twenty five cents gas. It, at that time, that's well, crazy. Well, they didn't actually say how much the gas was. They only said how much the nuts were, which was uh, sixty nine cents. And then he said how much is the gas. And then I'm pretty sure it showed in the scene. Is oh, did they show it in the yeah the, the sign? I didn't pay yeah. attention. Right. I'm sure. I assume it was very cheap. I think it was like forty nine cents. Anyway, <laughs> the scene itself. He goes in the gas station, buys some gas. The man at the gas station, you know, being a sort of small town guy, starts to makes very small talk you know it's like oh uh you get a lot of rain up that way and he said what everybody says up what way he says oh i see you're from dallas which earlier in the film he killed a man and stole his car so he's obviously not from dallas but you know it's just sort of small talk you know and then it's sort of that's what kind of triggers him he says what a business of where i'm from sort of but uh okay but uh, it's just sort of um, how very benign things can sort of set this man off. He does not want to be anyone to have any idea of where he's from or who he is or what he does. Even though, like, he probably could have just said nothing and laughed and the guy wouldn't have cared or said anything to anybody. Because yeah. who's going to come out to this random-ass gas station to question this guy? Exactly. But that was enough, and he begins to question him, sort of like... Oh, what time do you close? Oh, where, what time do you go to sleep? Where do you live? Do you By live the way, if anybody ever asks me shit like that, <laughs> I'll be and the guy scared is, out of my fucking mind. The guy was very clearly nervous about it because he keeps saying, like, oh, we're closed. And he's like, oh, well, what time do you close? Oh, we close now. <laughs> now's not a time, like... <laughs> Like, uh, I mean, like, you're right, technically. Yeah, don't you hate when somebody just presses you down for... <laughs> And then it leads to the whole development, the establishment of his character, sort of uh, how he sees himself as more of a agent of fate or like a force of yeah. nature or destiny rather than like an actual person. He tosses, a, he says, how much you ever lost in a coin toss? Mm-hmm. He says, I can't really say. And so he tosses a coin, tells him to call it, and he's like, well, what do you stand to win? Well, you stand to win everything. Basically, yeah. he's just saying, if you guess this wrong, I'm going to kill you. Which, yeah. He doesn't outright say it, obviously, but no, it's but obviously like, very heavily implied. Yes, to us, the audience, we know what yeah. it's going to mean. But <laughs> this guy, this, this fucking gas station clerk, well, I guess owner, is like, 
so close to death and you feel like the suspense just building and building this is like straight out of like a Hitchcock type of suspense too also I like how it was subtly implied that he didn't like the fact that he married into owning a gas station <laughs> he almost chokes on his nuts at the when he says he it was his father's his wife's father's he's like married into it eh it's like what <laughs> why does that matter it's a shitty gas station in the middle of the desert yeah like who cares like anyway that scene was i've watched that scene multiple times mm -hmm. since the since then just sometimes i come back to it because it's just so well the pacing is just so tense mm -hmm. a lot of people mention it, it's very similar to a later film that came out the um, inglorious bastards the mm. opening scene of that with the jew hunter yes where he's questioning him about the location oh, of I would love to do that film with you. Where, yes, but the location yeah. of his family, which was also a very well-written and intense scene. Yeah. And it just sort of illustrates the character. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was, that was a... That I mean, shout-outs to the actor, too, like, because Harvey R. Bourdain is doing a great job. I, I don't know the name... Of the gas station. Of the gas station clerk, but... Big ups for him, like, to, like, act in the scene with him and doing, like, a banged-up job of doing it. Like, you can tell he's, like, very nervous the yeah. whole time, but he's still trying to sort of be polite because he doesn't want to set him off even more. Yeah. Which is impossible at that point. He's already <laughs> set him off. Yeah. He doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what kind of man he's dealing with exactly. Yeah. What did you think about the cinematography of the film? The cinematography <laughs> is very, it's very tight. Mm -hmm. I want to say not a lot of long shots, not a lot of yeah. panning, not a lot of very far distance. Just sort of um, very close to the characters to give you a sense of sort of, I guess intimacy in a way it's, be very close to everyone who's in the film sort of always seen from their perspective yeah not really any like you know scenery shots or anything like that just always always really up in people's faces yeah which is I, I like that I mean it's like it, it's, it's like I said before the atmosphere of the film is very tense yeah and it's always seen from like the character's perspective and it's yeah. sort of so showing their struggle even Tommy Lee Jones' scenes those are probably the most like um, his scenes were probably the least intimate because he's always he's one of the few people who's always talking to people almost in the movie yeah everyone else is Josh Brolin's either running away or he's out in the woods the yeah. desert or and of course Anton Sugar oh cause like Tommy Lee's character is like 15 steps behind what the plot is actually yeah. about it makes it seem like he is human in this he's the most human sheriff portrayed I've at least I've, that I've seen yeah I mean he's uh his character is I guess supposed to serve as sort of a average person outside looking in even though he's not really an average person but yeah he's just sort of a outside perspective from this sort of craziness that's going on looking into the situation and just sort of saying he just doesn't get it you know it doesn't make any sense yeah uh do you want to break spoilers down here or no 
I mean, we might as well. However, we're With assuming people. Two thousand seven film. Look, once a movie has gone past like ten years, you can talk about whatever you want about the film. Spoilers in the Sixth Sense. Bruce Willis is dead. By the way, <laughs> that. Ha- Spoilers, end of Planet of the Apes. It was Earth all along. <laughs> you know? Damn it all to hell! <laughs> Funny side note, back when movie rentals were a thing, mm-hmm. I was actually renting that, looking at that film to rent it. On the back of the DVD box is a picture of Charlton Heston kneeling in front of the Statue of Liberty. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> Like, like, at the end, uh, yeah. with the monkey? The the ape, sorry? No, not that one. The original one. The Charlton Heston one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He's just, you know, where he's in the front of the Statue of Liberty. He's like, damn you all. Yeah, literally oh, okay. just the, the, the cover was just him kneeling in front of him. Like, wait a second. That was literally <laughs> the end of the film. They just put it on the cover. Like, no one, like, how, everyone, no one cares anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just assumed that, hey, you've seen it. Guess what? Do you know the Vader is uh, Luke's father? Yeah, did you know that one? This is, this is a spoiler right there. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we can do spoilers for the film. All right. So, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah, the yeah. title of the film, No Country for Old Men. I preface, if you don't want spoilers, stop listening now, obviously. Yeah, okay, fine. I'm going to make this clap. It's going to be a loud one. If you don't want to hear spoilers, if you're really interested in watching the film from 2007, this is your chance right now. Okay, one, two, three. All right, spoilers. Clearly, the title of the film is about Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee Jones as the old man, yes. Yeah, because at the end of the film, he decides to retire because he's like, this shit's way too much for me. Yeah. Sort of the uh, the violence and the random senseless violence that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I think they also mention it at the end of the film where he goes and visits uh, his old friend in mm-hmm. the wheelchair. It's not anything new that's going on. Like, he was talking about his uncle or something that got killed in, like, the early 1900s, just, like, on yeah. his porch. And it's just like, yeah, this violence is not new. It's just... It's always happened. It's just... It's, it's the way it's become now, I guess. Like, it's more second nature. I mean, I think it was implied that it's always been that way. Mm. It's not like... All of a sudden, the world's become a more violent place. They're mm-hmm. trying to say the world's always been a violent place. It's just how you look at it is what's it's like changes as you get older. Did they mention that Tom Lee's character was a nom? Because they mentioned like Josh Brolin's character was did two tours in nom. Did they mention was Tommy Lee's character a nom? They didn't mention that. They did. They mentioned a scene where he was like. He knows what he's capable of, like Josh Rowland's character. Like he knows, like, like Tom Lee knows what he's been through, and he can relate. So like that to me kind of like put me for like, oh, he must have been like. I mean, he was a nom, or was he just like in a war or something? Mm, or maybe. is it just because he's done this for so long? He's aware of like violence. Mm, maybe. Because it was something like. I was wondering at the beginning of the film because it's like Josh Brolin character the whole setup he stumbles upon this 
drug bus gone wrong and there's dead bodies everywhere and he just like doesn't care at all he's just <laughs> walking through he sees a guy like begging him for water and he's just like I don't got no water mm-hmm. and he just kind of like leaves him there to fucking die he does go back for him later because I guess his conscience gets the better of him which was also the dumbest idea in the world I agree which he also said it was a dumb idea yeah I just should have just taken the money and just ran immediately he should have or he could have just left and not done anything you know if he I mean I guess there wouldn't be a plot to the film then but. I guess so but like put yourself in that in that situation 1980s Texas hard working uh, Vietnam veteran sees two million dollars in cash you know, like it's it's understandable, but I guess like this movie is all about like, like if there's something that you do, there's a consequence out of it. Yeah, the thing is, he didn't just stumble on the money. He had to go track it down. Like mm-hmm. he stumbled upon the whole shootout <clears throat> scene, but then he later was like, "What happened to the last guy?" And he went and tracked that guy down and found him. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't. Yeah, he, he had to work to get that money. He didn't just find it mm-hmm. like he was consciously looking for something mm-hmm. no I don't know if he was consciously looking for money or he was just trying to figure out what happened so yeah were you surprised that he dies like just random off Mex- screen random Mexicans come and shoot him yeah yeah <laughs> I mean I think yeah because it, the whole film centered around this like battle between him and Javier Bardem, and then he just sort of gets unceremoniously killed. You completely forget there's a whole other gang looking for him the whole time, because... Exactly. The cartels, yeah. The cartels are looking for him, which he almost got killed by in the beginning of the film, and you just... You somehow manage to forget they exist, even though they're actually prevalent through, like, the whole film. Mm-hmm. Like, they also try to kill him in his motel room. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure, like... You see the scene where Woody Harrelson's talking to, like, one of their bosses and talking about how he hired the Mexicans. Or, mm-hmm. Like, somehow, the you just, like, push it out of your mind. Like, they even exist, because it's, like... Because Javier's character is so prevalent. Like, it's, like, a battle of, like, good and evil type of sense. It's, yeah, it's sort of like if you were... Uh, in the middle of like a hurricane or like a tornado or something mm-hmm. and then on the side like your house started catching on fire you'd be like you wouldn't necessarily notice right away that your house is on fire yeah you will for this <laughs> massive like storm bearing down on you which yeah. is sort of like Javier Bardem's character is sort of a natural disaster and the cartels are just sort of like a side thing that could kill you but you just sort of like are too distracted by the bigger picture here. Yeah, honestly. To sort of even think about it until it's too late. Yeah. Um, no, I really liked his character, even his moments before that, the fact that, like, random girl wants to have, like, a little beer with him, and he's like, nah, I'm faithful to my wife, type of thing. It, it puts such a human character with him. Yeah. Like, he's not one of those guys that, like, oh, hey, like, my wife's not here. There's never, nothing, nothing's gonna happen to me. But he stays true to his core that he really does care for her. 
And I thought, like, that little... Yeah, I mean, you can tell they have a good relationship, even, even at the end where, um... There's, um... She gets confronted by Javier Bardem in his house, and mm-hmm. he basically says, like, oh, your husband sold you out, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, nah, you know, you're lying. Because mm-hmm. he didn't... He didn't sell her out, per se. He just didn't give in to Javier Bardem. Yeah. He just, like... But I guess to him, that's selling selling her out, because he's like, oh, I'm going to kill your wife if you don't give me the money. And he's like, oh, I'm not giving you the money. I'm going to kill you instead. Yeah. But, like, his plan was obviously send her the money on the plane, out of the country, and mm-hmm. he wasn't going to go out of his way, I guess, to chase her down. Or yeah. maybe he would have, right? He's a man of principles, and he's clearly said he was doing it because he gave his word. Maybe he would have gone all the way out of the country to kill her. Who knows, right? Like, Yeah. Um, oh, she was a great actress, by the way, too. Yeah, she doesn't get enough credit in the film. Yeah. Um, once again, I really should have looked at these people's names. Oh, you know what? I know, you know what? I, I researched her because I'm like, oh, this girl looks familiar. And uh, she was in a Black Mirror episode that I liked. In a Black Mirror episode? Oh, yeah, I love Black Mirror. Oh, my God. This... this this podcast is going to fuel me more ideas to uh, talk about other things. You go on the... Go What's on. her name? Uh, Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald, okay. Yeah. yeah Kelly McDonald, she's, uh, she was good in the film, and she doesn't get enough credit for it, even though, yeah. probably because she's such a small part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she does sort of show, like, very well written character in her relationship with Josh Brolin is where she's the faithful wife and just sort of sort of just like supports him unconditionally even though he's, she's she's probably she doesn't know what's going on but she's probably aware sort of like it's nothing good but she just sort of but she knows there's money involved she knows there's money involved and like even I think she, when she's talking to Tommy Lee Jones character she just kind of says like yeah he, he'll take anybody down you know like and it's like she doesn't she wouldn't say like she basically was told like he's in deep trouble and he, he's gonna get killed and he's like ah it doesn't matter I believe in him right like, yeah most most people when they were told that about their spouse would be a lot more scared yeah it wouldn't just be like yeah he'll be fine you know yeah right? exactly um if you get that uh Woody Harrelson is in this film and uh Woody Harrelson yeah he's Woody Harrelson is more of a plot device rather than a character. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has his own character, but to me, he's more of, like, a symbol of, like, hope, in a way, for Josh Brolin's character. Not really hope, but more like a last chance for Josh Brolin to sort of get out of the situation he's in. Yeah. Because that's sort of what Woody Harrelson is. He's the plot device for Josh Brolin to sort of walk away from everything and get out because that's because his character is like he knows Anton Shigur and he says like well if you, I can protect you if you just give me the money you know you can just walk away which probably would have happened because I mean he dies <laughs> yeah I mean like yeah, you probably figure out later like it wouldn't have made a difference whether he gave Woody Harrelson the money or not Anton mm-hmm. Shigur would have just tracked him down because that's just his thing. He has principles. He's kind of like the opposite of uh, what do you have with some characters? Like the opposite of Anton. 
because he does the same line of work. Um, he's obviously okay with cutting corners to get what he wants. Yeah, he does. He doesn't really like. <laughs> and to need to say he opposed to Anton Shakur, he does talk a lot. Yeah, he's more. He's more personable. Yeah. He's the kind of person who would like come up to you with a smile on his face and then shoot you, rather than like Anton Shakur would just break into your house while you're asleep and shoot you in your sleep. Yeah, exactly. Like you see that Anton like really like takes pride in his job, and like honestly, like you think that because he does kill two members. Of the cartel or whatever business whatever. guys in the beginning so you like in the entire movie before you think oh hey this guy uh, he wants to get the money because why else would he kill them it's not it's not about the money it's about the well, you, you learn that throughout the film yeah. that it's not about the money yeah it's all about like he takes pride in this which is funny because well, what's his main uh weapon that he uses to kill people I mean the technically the main weapon he uses in the film is this weird silent shotgun which doesn't exist in real life by the way <laughs> I think uh, yeah just sort of going on a side tangent I think he said he really liked the sound effect of it the, mm. the whoop. yeah I love it the I love it it's like fucking great like <laughs> it almost sounds like he's like like charging up like a battery or something to it looks like one of those things to kill like cattle and shit I think that that's what it is it's just like a modified version of it that yeah, he I think obviously that, that, made that's probably yeah you're right it's like symbolic cause that's his signature weapon in the film is the cattle prod the cattle gun the air compressed air mm-hmm. gun that basically it's just a an air tank with a hose attached to it and then like is a they have a handle on the end and it shoots out like a compressed rod and which retracts and then it basically just kills the cow by shooting a metal rod in their brain. Yeah. But that's what is this most known for because it happened right at the beginning of the film where he tells a man to step out of a car and he puts this thing up to his head and just shoots him through the brain quickly. Yeah. He also used it a lot to break locks, which is, is more what he uses it for in the film rather than killing people. Yeah. No, it's like his signature weapon in a sense. It's fucking awesome, though. His cattle prod, his cattle gun. Well, it, you could say that it's like an ideology how he sees when he kills people. It could be like unnecessary work. Like, just, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's just killing people like their cattle, essentially, right? He's, yeah. And he's just trying to be as efficient about it as possible. Exactly. And with as little mess as possible, which was pointed out in the film multiple times, he does not like mess at all. He's, yeah. At one point, he takes off his shoes to go kill a bunch of people. Yeah. And then takes his socks off when they get covered in blood. Yeah. He does, he does not like it. He is not a messy person. He's a very clean person. Yeah. It's just... Even though... Is, can we just, like, talk about this man's haircut in the film? What is that? <laughs> what do what was that hairstyle like? <laughs> like I get the idea. Like I guess the idea was they wanted to make him as like nondescript, like of his like origin as possible. Like he's obviously some Hispanic, but like 
He has the name of, like, a Russian. His name is, like, some Eastern European name. Mm -hmm. And also, he looks like he's from I don't freaking know where, like... I liked it, though. Like, it it just, like, the way that he looks, it looks like straight up... He does not belong in this universe. Like, yeah, it's like, literally, I'm like, I don't know what this, like... I don't know what that haircut was, man. Like, Jesus Christ, like... It's like one step away from speaking to the manager. Like, I don't know, oh, man. <laughs> what do you think about the ending? The ending, the ending. Are you talking about where? Well, what at we... least where we leave off with uh, Anton. Yeah. That's yeah, um. It's sort of uh. They go through the whole film showing how this guy's sort of like an unstoppable killing machine. Yeah. And he's very careful about everything. He's very planned out. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end, he almost gets killed by a person running a red light on her. Yeah. After he briefly turned away mm-hmm. to look at some children, which is, I guess, just pretty ironic considering he goes through this whole film just like basically not getting hurt too much. Even when he gets shot in the leg, he basically shakes it off, and then he ends up in this horrific car crash where his bone's sticking out of his arm. Mm hmm. And he just sort of walks away from it. Yeah. And then... I'm assuming he doesn't die, because I'd be kind of... I, I love how he bribes the kid. He bribes the kid, even though... Yeah. Rather than, like, you know, just straight up asking for help, he wants to be in control of the situation. So he gives the money to the kid, in a sense where he feels like now he did something... Where he was in control of it to obtain something. Yeah, I don't think it's so much about control. It's more just he believes in a sort of fairness mm. where it's like you need to give something for something. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Like you can't just take things that aren't, that don't belong to you. Like. What do you mean? He takes all the cars. I mean, you, I thought you were going to say he takes all these people's lives as well. <laughs> no, but to him, that's like second nature. That's He's just. Getting there to fulfill his job, he's still taking these guys, these people's cars, and changing them the entire time. What what did they give to him? What what did he give to him? Like the the people who steal the car, like that he's stealing the cars from. Uh, well, he gives them, you know, his eternal rest. You know, eternal <laughs> <laughs> rest. <laughs> you know, it's just something like that. Mm. I think it's more just. Anyone, that, like, he had to give him something, maybe as a bribe to keep his mouth shut, mm. sort of, to sort of incentivize, because oh, yeah, he, he, he said, you didn't see me here, sort of thing, mm. which is like, some people, I've seen some, com- I've seen some threads asking about um, whether or not he killed that accountant guy in the one scene, mm. and I don't believe he did, because he sort of asked guy, like, oh, do you see me, sort of thing, and if the guy said... We're assuming he said no, if he's smart. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't kill him. Yeah. Because he has no reason to kill him at that point. Yeah. He only kills people he thinks could identify him in any sort of way. Which exactly. Which is why he kills yeah. everyone he steals cars from. He almost... He almost kills a, a, like a woman at a rental office because she's sort of getting in his way. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Harvey Bardem with how 
great of a performance you did. Did get recognized. You didn't win an uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He did. And I find it funny because he won that, and then next year, Heath Ledger won it. Heath for Ledger. playing the Joker. Heath Ledger won the year after? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you can see some similarities, kind of, to Anton and to... To the Joker? In terms of, like, two prominent characters who are villains in their respective movies and done at, a, at, at the best form of, like, yeah, that's, acting. That's true. They are both They're both excellent performances. Obviously, Heath Ledger, probably one of the most iconic Jokers, if not the most iconic for some people. Yeah. Some people could argue recent performance by Joaquin Phoenix was better or at least as good. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other issue. That's a whole other topic, that movie, Joker. It's funny because... Uh, one day. But. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Heath Ledger was supposed to be in this film. Really? Yeah. He was supposed to be Josh Brolin. He was supposed to be Josh Brolin. Yeah. Didn't Heath Ledger already play a cowboy? <laughs> broke back mountain <laughs> yeah. also, I don't think it's the same movie <laughs> also nominated in that film <laughs> yeah. no he was supposed to but uh, he turned it down because he was trying to spend time with his family okay interesting I mean yes yeah. I mean, so do you imagine a Heath Ledger playing uh, fuck what's his name in the film like it's uh, last name Llewellyn Moss. His film. His name is Llewellyn Moss in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I imagine him that? Um, it's hard to say. I don't know what kind of performance he would have brought to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I don't think he would have had the same sort of um, just intensity Josh Brolin has to the film. Yeah. Josh Brolin just sort of. <clears throat> In most, in a lot of every film scene, he comes off as sort of like a very intense character, whatever character he's like playing. Like a Clint Eastwood type of vibe. Like a Clint Eastwood sort of tough guy vibe. Yeah. He just gives off that like aura. Mm-hmm. That like sort of, I want to say like machismo aura. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, Heath Ledger never really gave me that in any of his movies. Mm-hmm. He's just sort of a, he's a good actor, he just... I don't know if he would have the same sort of uh, yeah. grittiness mm-hmm. that uh, Josh Brolin does. So, so it's hard on, to say what he would yeah. what it would have been like. Yeah. So on top of that, it won best supporting actor for Harry Bardem. Uh, did not win best cinematography for Roger Deakins, who's an established cinematographer that sh- probably should have won. But yeah, uh, I did win best picture that year so which yeah. I feel like it's a word so it has some good contenders that year too there was uh, There Will Be Blood mm-hmm. uh, Atonement I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen that one no I haven't actually Atonement. seen that it's, a, it's a pretty good film mm-hmm. and uh, I don't remember the other one that was nominated that year but um, yeah it's fine uh, so, I, well, I guess we're past the spoiler territory, so there you go for people who missed out, like, a big chunk. 
Um, so, how would you rate this out of, like, 10? How would I rate it out of 10? I'd probably give this movie, like, a, a 9 out of 10, honestly. 9 out of 10? That's fair. Maybe, maybe even a little higher than that. Maybe, like, a 9.2. 9.2? <laughs> 9. Out of 10. Yeah. I'd, I'd say it's, I just, I was watching the film, and I'm just, like, just, even though I've seen it before, I was still, like, entranced as to what was happening the whole time like I was like it's a it is by no means a, a fast paced film or a it is a very slow methodical film yeah but it doesn't but it's still like it was still interesting the whole time One, once again for a film that has no soundtrack and very minimal dialogue and the mm-hmm. dialogue it does have is usually very dry mhm it's just uh, it still somehow captures your attention. So. Yeah, like I feel like you don't get bored. No, you do not. You're just you're so invested in these like this these characters. Yeah, just Josh Brolin's character, Javier Bardem's character, even a little bit like Tommy Lee Jones' character. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like Tommy Lee is the character. Was supposed to root for, you know? Yeah, like, you can see that Josh Brolin is a character you should root for, but again, he makes questionable decisions by taking the money and everything like that, right? So I feel like Tommy Lee is, like, the natural good force in this film, and you're riding along with him, even though he's, like, 15 steps away from what we know what's going on with the plot. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tommy Lee's character is just sort of like, uh, it's more supposed to be like close to the audience where he's sort of reacting to everything that's happening. Exactly. In the film and sort of like, what would you, what would an average person do in this situation where he finds out about these things? Mm-hmm. Where his job is to like investigate these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to wrap it up because this was a long one. <laughs> well, how long have we been going here? Ah, uh, like 46 minutes. Okay, well, geez. <laughs> Look, we really enjoy talking about this film. We lost track of time. So, I hope you guys get a chance to watch this. Yeah, would would recommend it, definitely, if you're into these uh, sort of dramatic yeah. suspense films. Yeah. Did I give it a rating? You did not. Oh, uh, you said 9.2, right? Yeah. Give it a solid nine. Give it a solid nine out of ten. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an excellent film. Yeah, would recommend. Two thumbs up. Terrific fun. I'm just reading the cover of a DVD here, actually, for Bridget Jones' Diary. <laughs> it does the same two thumbs up. Roger Ebert. Uh yeah, Ebert and Roper. <laughs> no Cisco. Damn. Uh, his films. Films are older and uh, newer than that. <laughs> what do you want to review, uh, Bridget Jones? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, guys, that was either episode one or episode two. Um, really had fun, Brandon. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, have we decided on what film we're doing next? Uh, I'll get back to you on that one. There's so much okay. selections. Well, well, we'll find out next week. It'll be a surprise for both of us. Exactly. Alright, so thank you for listening. Hope you didn't get bored. We were engaging as always. Take care.